Sue Hillman had a very successful career in a senior position at the BBC, and then, like many others, redundancy paid her a visit. Instead of moping around, she set about creating It's Your London, where she designs and organises the perfect trip for foreign visitors. Sue will take you to the famous sites like Big Ben and, of course, the Tower of London, but her extensive knowledge of our wonderful city will ensure that you get to see places in London you never knew about, and frankly, many Londoners probably don't either. I met Sue in her lovely home in the famous Notting Hill, and she told me how she set up It's Your London, her love of our wonderful city, and some of the fascinating stories from her travels. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. Well, I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Sue Hillman. Thanks very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to find out a little bit more about you and what you do with your business called It's Your London. Um, So very nice fit with what we do here on Your London Legacy. There's a lovely, lovely crossover. I don't know how you describe your business. Is it like a, a concierge, travel concierge service for foreign visitors to London? I tend to call it more tailor-made tours. So people get in touch with me and they tell me what they want to do, their wish list. Then I put it together in an itinerary so that it flows nicely, add on some extra bits. So if they say they're particularly keen on history, I'll add a bit more to the things that they've already listed. Get tickets, go and pick them up on the day, take them around, make sure they have a great time, make sure that I answer all their questions. Um, But we do it much more as a conversation during the day. So it's sort of partly about the planning and partly about the day. So before we sort of dig deep into what you do and how you do it in a, in a bit more detail, I'm fascinated by the little bit of research I did before I met you to see that you worked in a fairly senior capacity or very senior capacity as HR manager, I think, or head of HR at uh, the BBC. So very stressful position, I would imagine, for a number of years. What was it that decided or made your decision to to leave the BBC and corporate life and come and set up your own business looking after visitors to London? Well, I'd been at the BBC for 18 years. Sounds a long time. Um, Moving around lots of different departments. It was a job I really enjoyed. It was, as you say, very stressful. But Being associated with a business like the BBC is always interesting. Fabulous people, sometimes a little difficult, but um, never, never dull and always very challenging and stretching. But there does come a point where you've been somewhere 18 years where you need to have a think about how long you're going to stay. I could have stayed for the rest of my career, potentially, which then would have felt far too long. And um, they were doing one of their famous rounds of redundancy. Ah been there. <laughs> yes. Um, I think anybody's worked in a large organisation knows what that feels like. So eventually I thought it feels the right time. So put my hand up and it worked. And then while I was working through that process, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? And always love to travel. I've always wanted to show people around places. You know, when you go on holiday, there's always one person who's got the guidebook, who's worked out where you're all going to go, who suggests, and has even looked up the train timetable sometimes. <laughs> I was going to say that was me until you got to the train times. <laughs> so that that was always me. And I do love London. And I thought, well, that would be a great thing to, to try and get into. And I was on the tube one day and I thought, what would I call it? And it suddenly came to me and I thought, because it's all about what visitors want to see and do that's when I came up with the name it's your London so how did you go about what was the first thing you had to do to to get this up and running because obviously was this the first time you'd you'd worked 
for yourself or set up your own business is quite a change of mindset, isn't it, from working in the corporate oh, world? Oh, goodness. Uh, everything was different. So it was a new industry, new way of life, because I've so I've always worked in big, big companies. I worked in um, the career service before the BBC, so local government. Never worked at home, never worked for myself. I had to look into so many regulations. What was I doing? Was it legal? What sort of insurance? What sort of background? You know, lots of that. And then just trying to get to know people in the business, showing people like around London for small groups, not not the big sort of organized stuff is very um very fractured so it's quite was quite an effort to try and find so did you know from the off really that you wanted to go into this area of of doing private tours for foreign visitors is that is that because you wanted to give a tailored sort of specific approach to visitors it was partly that and also they're, they're kind of two different worlds the one people who do the the large groups um whether they're large group walking tours with the umbrellas or large groups on coaches and way, way back, hundreds of years ago, I was a tour rep in Ibiza. Ah. So I had a bit of bulk tourism and on coaches experience and decided very much that I wanted to show people around in an individual, personal way so that people would be actually hiring somebody who lives in London, gets as much as out of London as they can, experiences what's going on. So it's sort of your person in London as opposed to if you take a group round, I see them all the time, they do a great job. But you have to sort of talk at people, and I wanted to explore London with people. So what is your background in terms of your knowledge and understanding of London? Do you have an education, or is it just yourself taught about the history and the areas of London to visit? Is it just your passion? I've always been exploring London, as much as I love to explore the world as well. I see London as another world in itself and, of course, the best city in the world. You have to say that. And I really believe it. I've travelled to lots of cities. I've been to, I think it's 76 countries now. I'm just looking at your bookshelf, which is (laughs) stuffed full of books on, I can't, what have you got, Zambia, West Africa, Jordan, Rwanda. In fact, I saw saw you just done some work in Rwanda. Well, maybe we'll come back to that uh, later. That was amazing. So you're obviously very widely travelled, but you particularly travelled around London, which, which, as you say, is like a world within a world anyway. So I, you know, I've always been out exploring, you know, I love to see what's new, what's open, whether it's a restaurant or a new exhibition or a new gallery or, and in London, new areas. So 15 years ago, you wouldn't go out to the east, you wouldn't go out to the Docklands. And um, I was just saying earlier, I'd just been to the dragon boat racing Mm. at the weekend, which is all about the Hong Kong Chinese traditions, which comes to London. It's very nice to go there if you can, but you you can enjoy so many other cultures within London, as well as its own history, which is enormous. And, you know, I've, I've lived here since I graduated hundreds of years ago. And, um, I still find new things all the time. So although I, I'd seen all this stuff, when you're thinking about taking people around, you have to look at it in a different way and get into the history and the dates as opposed to say, oh, it's Henry VIII, you know, vaguely. But do people want specific dates or do they just want sort of the generic, you know, this was, you know, Edwardian or this is Georgian or this is from Henry VIII's time? Do they actually want to know the dates? Are they? Sometimes. Yeah. But also you have to be careful about Edwardian means nothing to somebody from Texas. Mm, true. So, and also I, I had some guests from China at one point, And of course, they didn't even know who Henry, why should they know who Henry VIII was? I don't know what the names of their emperors were. I suppose we have to put our assumptions to one side, don't we? 
And uh, that was particularly challenging because there were two businessmen and one didn't speak English. So I was having to do sound bites so that he could then translate as to who Henry VIII was and why he's so significant and things that we might say, oh, you know, Henry VIII led to the break with Rome. Well, Rome's just a city. What, what does that actually mean to somebody who knows very little about our culture? So that was really interesting to, to try and explain that. But yes, you're right. People don't always want to know exact dates. But I was taking some people around last week and we went to the Jewel Tower. And I said, well, this was built in 1356. And just dropping the odd date in like that, it's like, whoa, that's old. So do you have all these dates that are sort of at your fingertips or is these... <laughs> you do your preparation for each yeah, tour in advance. Yeah. so you Because you... each tour is, is different. You know, there, there's similar buildings. You know, we quite quite often go to the Tower of London. Well, why wouldn't you? And quite often go to Westminster Abbey. But the Abbey was closed, so we had a look around. So then I added in the Jewel Tower, which we would normally just walk past, um, because you can do the thing about Houses of Parliament and the fact that that was one of the few pieces that's left from the original building. And to drop in a date like that when people are from Texas, which is obviously a much newer state, I don't know all the dates, but I do, I do revise them specifically for each tour and then forget them and have to revise them again. That's fair <laughs> enough. You can't be expected to know every date. But, uh, so when I was at school, we had to choose between history and geography, which was always a regret. What Was that an O-level stage? Yeah. Or the, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's you disappointing. Couldn't, you couldn't do both. So I've had to, I took the geography route and so I've had to supplement continuously. But, you know, history has been a great joy to, to I discover. I thought you were going to say you went the history route, obviously, with no. your, your knowledge. And What did you study at uh, university? You went to university? What did you uh, study there? To European studies and majored in French. Okay. So that was all about European social and political history and how Europe was coming together in the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> Very yes. pertinent. Okay. I'm fascinated in the process from leaving mainstream, uh, mainstream corporate world into setting up on your own. But as someone who's done that himself uh, 14, 15 years ago, I know the trials and tribulations of, of working for yourself and setting up your own little sort of uh, business from home. What you're doing, you're trying to attract, I mean, when I set up my own business, I was trying to get business from, from locals, you know, from Londoners in a particular niche market. But you're trying to attract clients from all around the world so how on earth did you did you go about that I mean this was back in 2008 2009 yes I did quite a lot to begin with sort of trying to get on to press things press releases to journalists um, but I, I found in the end that people actually use Google a lot and then slowly but surely I mean a lot of the people I get now are recommended by other mm. people because you after a time yeah, you yeah. get a good reputation you build yeah. up a bit of traction yes and then some people just find me. And I and even no idea how. No idea how. <laughs> and nor do they, because that's the weird thing with with Google is you start with something and then you find something yes. and then you're never quite sure how you've got there. Yeah. Down the rabbit hole of links and things. Yeah. And I also joined Visit London just to to be part of that bigger organisation. So what does that do for you? What does that entitle you to? Oh, you can use the badge on your website. Yeah, okay. And um, they have good networking events and... Um, you also get to know what's coming up because they're very, very much involved in promoting the big events coming up in London. And also, one thing I found very interesting with Visit London is they actually make events. So something like the Lumiere London, which is this amazing lights, I don't know quite what you call it, festival um, across London in the winter, was sort of invented there. So um, 
it's it's just a way of understanding London, seeing what's coming up, and talking to people in in the business. I mean, there is so much going on in London all the time. It's impo- it's impossible, you know, for for us to keep up all the time. So, how, how do you keep up to speed with it? Do, is it just a question of reading the articles and the what's on in London and all the various magazines and journals and blogs and things? Time out. Time out. Twitter is an amazing resource. Mm. For research purposes. For research. um, Tends to be things which are quite short notice things. So, you know, obviously there's the annual calendar events um, and it's keeping keeping up with that. You know, everybody knows Wimbledon. Although they did move Wimbledon. (laughs) Used to be the last week in June, 1st of July. Now it's the first two weeks in July to give a bit more space between the French and Queens. Yeah, and less um, rain, hopefully. We've got a roof. We'll have two roofs soon because Court One's getting a roof. Yeah, we won't have Cliff Richard anymore, though, will we? Yes, there's always that. So do you find you have to go to, I mean, you're always constantly going out, checking these things out for yourself and seeing if they're worth taking you know, clients to. And, you know, things like Wimbledon, which is obviously a major attraction. It's only on two weeks a year, but the, I've, I've been there on the tour of Wimbledon grounds. Um and I remember taking um, an Indian couple and the, he he was an older man and he loved tennis. I hadn't realised quite how much until we got there. And he we walked past the wall of all the men's singles champions and he knew them all. And then part of the tour is you actually sit on centre court and the look on his face. He was 70 something and he just thought, he'd never thought that would ever happen. He made it. And he even is. though there was no match on, it didn't matter. It was on his bucket list. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, It'll look very different when you watch it this year. And he went and just nodded at me. And they actually sent me a, a text when Wimbledon was on saying, we're watching it and we're thinking of our tour. It is a wonderful feeling going to see something physically in the flesh, as it were, that you've only ever seen on television or, you know, read about. And you're actually there and can feel and touch it. And I think that's what some people forget when they're taking people around is that, yes, it's nice to have the dates and the stories and everything. but. Some of our, well, a lot of London sites are so iconic. People have been brought up with them. They've seen pictures of them all their life. And then suddenly it's Big Ben. It's the Tower of London. It's Tower Bridge particularly. The centre shivered our mice mind even, even talking about yeah. it now. And they just, you know, you have to give them time just to look at it. But of course, Big Ben at the moment is under wraps. So that's kind of a massive disappointment for a lot it's been of visitors. for a while, I think, isn't it? Four years. Four years, yeah. I think we're almost at year one. But it's, I mean, that's a massive disappointment because if you've ever walked along Westminster Bridge before the scaffolding, everybody's having a picture of themselves with Big Ben. I was at a conference um, at the QE2 centre last November and there were people from all over the world were attending and they were so disappointed when they saw it under wraps and all the scaffolding. They were gutted. But it's so true. what, What you were saying about being in the place like this chap at Wimbledon we went to the theatre I said before we came on uh, live and we saw 42nd Street which that's a separate issue but (laughs) the the theatre was at the um, Theatre Royal Theatre Royal Drury Lane I mean it's a magnificent theatre absolutely stunning and I I haven't been there for many many years I don't think so since I was a kid and it just takes your breath away and there's so many iconic places and buildings like that around London and so many beautiful theatre interiors as long as you don't go on a very hot day and people come, oh, it's too hot. Um, very few of them have air conditioning. But when you get inside, they're just so beautiful, these Victorian tiered theatres. West End Theatre is such an amazing resource that we have. Stunning. I mean, the variety as well, because you've got that sort of style, which I think is 200 years old currently. And I think it's in its third iteration. I think it was 
destroyed about 200 years ago, I believe. Oh, yes. The story of London yeah. is always about yeah. fire, fires and bombs. <laughs> fires and bombs. Hey, we're going to come on to bombs, I think. That's on my list of things to mention to you. And then yet we get new theatres. And this weekend, I'm going to see a play at the Bridge Theatre, which is a new theatre just opened last year down by um, Towbridge, sorry. Okay. I don't know that Brand one. new theatre, yeah. just on that area where they have the, uh, the City Hall. Do you know what you're going to see there? It's a play with Laura Linney called My Name is Josie Barton or some okay. combination, something like that. I don't know that. Um, it's a very short run and, uh, you know, there's lots of new plays, new writing and new theatres. So it's not all stuck in aspic in the Victorian era. No. We really, you know, yeah, no, for sure. be able I mean, to offer so much. Yeah, it's there's amazing. lots of new modern theatres. You know, fringe theatres all, all over London, you know, top of pubs and bars and restaurants are doing it now. It's fantastic. So... Where do most of your client? Where do most of your visitors come from? All is it predominantly America, the states, or China, Japan? You get the mostly sort of- America and Canada. Yes, um, mostly Americans. I think particularly if you don't come from a big city, the idea of coming to London would be quite overwhelming and huge generalisation. But generally, they like to have their person in the town. Uh, which, of course, is very good for me. Of course, absolutely. And the idea, as I was saying earlier, having somebody who lives and breathes London. So, you know, somebody's bringing all that historical stuff, but the everyday life of being in London. And, you know, I take them round on the tube and the bus and so and that they get a just proper totally feel. take for granted, yeah. Because many, many, it's very few cities in America have an underground system. We have the first in the world, obviously. They wouldn't dare go on it on their own, quite, quite rightly. You know, if you've never been on any kind of underground system, you're not going to really start with London and I take them down there and they, and realise how easy it is and then they sometimes I get a note to say oh, we tried it ourselves <laughs> as long as they don't come when the, when they're on strike which yes. I think we've got one coming up haven't we I think yes the Jubilee line is supposed to be going off on Wednesday tomorrow but they quite often pull them at the they last minute they pull them at the last minute yeah it's yes. a nice threat just like to rattle show the cage. strength absolutely so what I mean what are the typical classic tours that you take them on do, do they say oh just show us the sites or we're interested in art or we're interested in I don't know architecture what is it that they they typically ask you for There's kind of two sorts there's the first timers who want all the big sites and then there's people who've perhaps been and then come forward with a particular interest Lots of people want a little bit of Harry Potter <laughs> Really? Yes. So Harry Potter is now truly part and parcel of the London culture, is it, for yes. tourists? Isn't that incredible? I know. I had a lovely woman from um, Dominican Republic who was over on business. and This was a once-in-her-lifetime trip. And uh, she said, when I told my friends I was coming to London, they said, oh, Harry Potter land. And I just had to smile because I thought, that's very strange. It's bizarre. I mean, I have absolutely no interest in Harry Potter whatsoever. I, I can't even tell you what station is connected with. with King's Cross. King's Cross. Yes, that's it. I should have known because I love King's Cross and Pancras Station. That's oh, one of my favourite stations. Extraordinary yeah. pieces of architecture and yeah. a wonderful archetypal London thing, King's Cross, because they've got the old building and then they've made that fabulous fan of the new architecture and blended the two, which is, you know, one of, one of my other themes when I take people around London is the old next to the new. And everywhere you go, you get that juxtaposition, which is always so fascinating. And you know, the the last guests I had were going off to Paris and they said, well, how's Paris different? Big question. It's Paris, because it hasn't had the fires and the bombs, is very unchanged visually and very uniform. And once, if you're just talking about the, the centre, obviously. 
Uh, whereas London, it's just all jumbled up and much more dynamic. But it has some ugly bits as a result. But oh, much more, lots of ugly bits. Uh, yeah. Whereas Paris, it's very much the same because you know there was wasn't the destruction. So I mean, you're talking of change over over the years. You know, obviously post and pre-war, and you know things being blown up and bombed. And my, I'm just thinking, even in my street where I live in suburban northwest London, we've we had houses which were bombed in the war. So we've got completely different styles, Victorian and you know the 30s, and then brand new ones where there were plots only recently been developed. But how have you seen London change in the short time? Well, you've been 10 years, I think, nearly. You've been running your business. I mean, have you, in terms of the culture and diversity of, you know, the different um, ethnic groups, if you like, that are, you know, in London nowadays, have you seen a big change? I think it's easier to go back a little bit further because obviously I've lived here a long time before I was doing the, the business. I think some of the big changes have been the South Bank, which used to be, well, you wouldn't go there. Why would you go there? There was the theatres, but they weren't really um, as as dynamic as they are now. And now, you know, I don't know which year it was, but uh, Lonely Planet had the Southern Thames Walk from probably from Tower Bridge right down through to Westminster as one of the great walk, city walks of the world. And you only have to do a little bit of it to realise, you know, you start at, at, at Tower Bridge and then you go through past the Golden Highness or the Cathedral and the, the Globe and the Tate and the, on it goes. So all that has just opened up immensely. And, you know, it's a place now where people are all evening. It's it's busy, people going Borough to market. Borough Market, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Other areas that have changed, obviously the city's changed a lot. I worked there when I left university for a while and it was very much all the shops were selling pinstripe suits and, and fancy shirts uh, and now it's just so opened up and, you know, things that used to be banks are now fabulous um, dining venues or bar venues like the Ned, where uh, we went in the other week because um, it's a very useful place to take people at lunchtime if you're not, if they're not sure what they want to eat. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of the Ned until recently. And my daughter suddenly told, oh, we're going to function at the Ned or we're going for a drink at the Ned. And she starts posting all these pictures as they do on social media. And uh, it looks amazing. I mean, there's a central area with, I think there's music and there's bars. And I think, I don't know. It's an excellent use of ex-bank. So because it's at, it's at bank. So the banks at bank are enormous buildings. They're the showcases for the banks. So this is now, was taken over by the Soho House Group. So the downstairs has got, I think it's got six different small restaurants all in open plan huge central bar with the bandstand where they have music in the evening and then it's got more formal dining and then it's got the so a private club at the top and rooms and everything so it's a massive sounds venture. amazing and you know, you take people in there so these were um this was a family from various different parts in america and they were absolutely lo- looking around going oh, so we're going to eat here it is we had sushi um <laughs> And they loved it, and it was one of their highlights. And uh, so the city is obviously still full of pinstripe suits and, you know, earns all that money for us. But it's much more opened up, and you, you take it's more. I take people there quite a lot, obviously, if you're going to St Paul's. But you can add in all these little side streets and things like the Bloomberg development just up from Bank, where there's loads of restaurants. But they've also opened up the London Mithraeum, which is the old temple of Mithras. Mm, which was moved, I think. Didn't yes, they pick it, it up and move it? Yes, and now they put it back to where it was originally. Remarkable. And you can then add that with the amphitheatre under Guildhall. And, do a whole, and then a bit of Roman wall. And then you, you've got a Roman tour if people want, want that. That's an amazing, 
what's the word, juxtaposition of old and new. That's incredible. That's actually within the um, building, yes. isn't it? So I, I, I couldn't find it because I kept walking past and yeah. realised it was just part of the new building. And then I suppose another area that, that's really opened up as well is the east area around, around Spitalfields and Brick Lane, which is now so vibrant and it's a wonderful place to visit because you've got all the layers of immigration. You've got the Jewish, you've got the Irish, you've got the Huguenots, and now you've got the Bangladeshi, not in that order. <laughs> and they're all visible layers of history. And you take people around there, it's just fascinating, a big Hawksmoor church, and then you've got the Spitalfields Market, Brick Lane Coffee Shop, Street Art. So it's a day in itself. And, you know, 20, 15 years, even 10 years ago, you wouldn't have thought to go there. We touched on the South Bank area before and uh, mentioned Borough Market. Now, I think a couple of days ago was the anniversary of the uh, terrorist atrocity when a van ran over and killed a number of people on the bridge there and why have you in the market? Lots of stabbings in the market. We were going through a time in London where there was a lot of fear and anxiety, certainly amongst, although London is a very sort of stoic and stiff upper lip and, you know, this isn't going to get us down. There was nonetheless a degree of anxiety amongst Londoners. Do you think that was fear and anxiety was transferred to foreign visitors coming over here? Did that put people off or were they still intrigued and wanted to come and see what was going on? I think those who travel a bit more anyway would come. I suspect some of the less travelled or people who might have thought about it will think, oh, we won't go now. So the figures I'd, I'd read, there was a drop-off. But it happens here. I mean, I would talk to people who live outside of London who would say, oh, I'm not, I'm not coming up to London, I'm not bringing my children to London. Which to me is completely absurd because statistically it's like 0.001% of deaths, you know, occur through terrorist activity. You've got more chance of getting run, run over or, you know, oh, absolutely. getting an illness and dying. But, um, but it, And it's always, I don't know why it feels worse, but it always to me feels worse when visitors get attacked in it because you think you've come here to have a holiday. And it's the same when our oh, nationals get hurt abroad. I think there was only one Londoner or British person who actually died in that attack. I mean, it was just awful, and you know the impact on the area was significant. But uh, it's very—they've bounced back, and you know, if people ask about it, you know, I do tell them about it. But I also say one of the most famous images was actually the man running away with a pint in his hand because he wasn't going to leave his pint yeah. behind. <laughs> and then somebody else said, "Well, of course, it's very expensive around there." <laughs> and you know, he was running; he was going to safety, but. Damned if he was going to leave his pint behind. <laughs> yeah, but there were plenty of others who, who ran without their pints into into the danger oh, zone yes. to try and protect other people. Yeah. Yes, and you can see the the impact visually because the bridges now have all the barriers Safety along, bar, so yeah. that people yeah. can't you can't stop the mad people with the knives. But most of the bridges are now secured from from people driving into crowds. So because I remember with the IRA bombings in in the city. Soon after that, they implemented the, I think it was called the Ring of Steel around the city of London with all the police and the checks and everything. And of course, then that stopped. And then we get another form of terrorism and another another style of uh, being horrible to people. So another way of changing the face of London and security around London, but you just adapt and get on with it, really, like like Londoners have over the years. And if you go past Westminster, where the, the, the poor policeman was stabbed to death, in that little section, there's not obviously more. And... Uh, the, the people I was taking around last week, we talked about our police and, and they're not armed. And she said, well, why not? And I said, well, they don't need to be. Um, they will be in certain places as we go around. You will see policemen with guns protecting certain areas. But 
most of them, you won't. And they really find that quite a difficult thought because how how then do you kill criminals? Well, we try not to. <laughs> <laughs> try not to let them in. <laughs> try not to let them. Try yeah. to stop them. Stop com- them at but, source. Yes, but, um, you know, you have to be careful because obviously people coming from a different culture, you have to put your point of view without seeming to criticise theirs. Well, I have to say, having been up, to central London a number of times in the last last few weeks. I haven't seen any fear or anxiety. In fact, the streets are sort of positively throbbing with uh, tourists and visitors at the moment. I don't know what the numbers are like. I, oh, it's, they it's look really, like they're, they're well up. Feels very buoyant at the moment. The, the, the exchange rate, certainly with the dollar, is very favourable for Americans yes. as well at the moment, isn't it? Yes, and royal weddings. Hey. Oh, royal weddings, of course, and mar- marrying Americans. In fact, we're just finishing off the last series of suits with uh, <laughs> Meghan yeah, Markle right. in it. <laughs> Yeah, so I I don't normally take people out beyond say Hampton Court to the to the west, but I'm I'm thinking I might extend to Windsor because I suspect there'll I be quite a lot to. of uh, yes. interest. Yeah. Just tell them it's part of London. <laughs> and uh, you know, for, to, from a, with a tourist hat on, it couldn't have been better. The day was beautiful. The castle looked amazing. Everything was just. Were you out with with no, visitors no, no, that day? No, no, no. I had some people, and they said, "Well, should we try and get there?" And I went, "Not." really your chances of you seeing anything and you'll have to wait all day uh, you know if you only have a short period of time you got so to be they, very dedicated they were yeah. camping out like a week before weren't they oh yes it's not something you just have a casual visit but i think people will want to see it and they've seen it on the and you know people still ask about william and kate's wedding because obviously i take often take people to westminster abbey and uh, the other thing obviously which is very exciting about westminster abbey although it's slightly morbid is of course most people I take round, we'll see the next coronation. She's 92. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she'll go on for a while yet. I think so. But you can say, well, this is where it will happen. Yeah. And that's the chair he will sit in. Yes. So how does it work? What, what People get in touch with you through the internet, presumably, and they, you exchange emails or phone calls or whatever you do, Skype calls. I don't know quite how it works. Then you plan, what is it, typically two, three, four days? Typically one to three. Okay. So we'll go backwards and forwards either on email or usually one call just to cement things. And then we'll sort of lock down the itineraries. And within each itinerary, there's a lot of flexibility because one of the things you never know until you say hello is how fast they walk, how often they want to stop for a photograph. Quite and, a lot, I'd have thought, nowadays. Well, some of them do and some of them don't. Those selfie sticks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people, even within a group, one will and one won't. So you have one's walking fast and one's taking pictures. So it has to have that much flexibility. So there's there's very few timed tickets in the summer. If you go and say to Buckingham Palace, you might, when it was open during the summer, it might be a timed ticket. But most are just any time. Things like the London Eye tends to be a timed ticket. So as we're going along, I'm always sort of recalibrating the timing. Um, because it's their day. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit there, right, now it's 12 o'clock, we should be such and such place. It's their day. It's their day. And my job is to make it all work, a bit like you know the swan where you have the, the legs under the water frantically battling away, so that people feel that that was exactly the place it was always going to be. And then stopping for coffee you know, or lunch, I don't book them in advance because then, of course, you'll desperately trying to get somewhere on You're time. You're restricted again, yeah. So you have to have all these places in your head that might work that you can drop into, depending on the weather as well. That's another. Sure. So you, you don't have a fixed – I mean, you know 
where you want to get to during the course of a day, but it's the... We will have the, the sites listed. We will have the order and usually the mode of transport. And what would that be typically? A combination of yeah. underground walking mm. and black cabs? If we're running a short time. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I really like to do with people is take them on the Thames Clippers. So It's a wonderful way to see London. It's yeah, amazing. Wonderful. And typically to arrive at the Tower of London by boat, I think is a much better approach. So getting on at either Embankment or Westminster, then you go past the London Eye, you've got the whole of the Sanks Bank, you're under the wobbly Millennium Bridge, and then bang, you've got Tower Bridge as you arrive, Traitor's Gate. So I've, if, if at all possible, and quite often I take people out to Greenwich, so then we always go by boat. I saw you did a blog on, uh, was it the Maritime Museum? Yes. Yeah. Which I, I've never been to, I'm ashamed to say. But there's a number of places I've never been to, having looked at your, your blog and post. And, I mean, it's quite a difficult place to take people around because it's quite detailed. Um, if you actually go into the, the like the Nelson Gallery. So it tends to be with people for a particular interest. But if you can get in there, and it's, it's free to visit, Nelson's coat is there. And it's the coat he was shot in. So it's there on a model of Nelson. He's five foot six or something, a very tiny little man, with the hole in the shoulder where the bullet went through. And you think, how earth do we end up with that? But it was through Lady Hamilton and Emma Hamilton got it and then handed it on to the nation. And that's an extraordinary historical piece. And it's just there. Amazing. Mm. So you're with them the whole time, are you, throughout the whole tour? As they, you you meet, meet them and greet them? and So I, I pick them up at their... Some people stay at apartments or um, service departments or rent apartments or hotels. So I pick them up there. Off we go. So we we have a quick check. First thing is hellos, check the itinerary and check the weather. Make sure that they are suitably garbed and shod. People, I always do think about, you know, we will do quite a bit of walking. So they always have good shoes, but we always have a debate about whether to take a waterproof or not. Right. Always pays to pack a cagoule or something. So then, we, then we, then off we go, and it, it, it's always fascinating because I may have spoken on the phone, but until then, none we haven't met each other, and then we have a whole day. But um, they're always nice because the sort of person who wants to come to London, who wants to be shown round, who wants to find out about stuff, is always going to be good company. Well, it certainly seems you enjoy yourself more, perhaps, than you did when you were at the BBC. I don't know. I could just be, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's a it's a different it's a different way of life. There were many many things I enjoyed about being at the BBC, and say that the extraordinary colleagues working on that kind of output. And uh, it's always the great fun of when you meet people. They say, what do you, do? you work at the BBC? And they always got a view. But then if you say you take people around London, people always got questions as well. So. Sure. So you pretty much booked out now through through the summer. You've got um, a full. I've got I've got a few coming up. I've got some Australians coming over and some more Americans. I'm working on at the moment. So what are they wanting to see? The Australians have been several times before. So they would they've done the quite difficult thing of saying, "Oh, just take us to what you think we should see." And you think hey, that's really hard. The other worst question anybody can ask me is, "Oh, could you recommend a nice restaurant?" And it's like there's four and a half thousand restaurants in London, many of which are nice. Many of which are not that good. (laughs) Yes. So then you have to go through these questions and they think, well, we just want a nice restaurant. You say, well, could you give me some clues? Like, do you, which cuisine? You know, because I 
think certain cuisines are lovely and others aren't. Sure. And they might have the completely the reverse view. And then you've got budget, obviously. Do you want a Michelin star? Do you want a famous chef? You know, do you want a famous restaurant in its own right? Do you want a neighborhood restaurant? And you have to try and get these questions answered in order to get down to even a reasonable shortlist. So it sort of brings us on to a question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. If you were to pick a couple of two or three of your favourite places in London, and these aren't necessarily places like the London Eye or, you know, Buckingham Palace, what I would call your sort of secret places that you like. Don't tell everybody because they'll all go there. But what would be your top two or three places that you really love going to or would recommend others go to? It's always a really hard question, the sort of hidden gems, because there's not really anything that's hidden. <laughs> so, I mean, for example, on our way back from the Javan boat racing, we dropped into St. Catherine's Dock, which I often add on to Tower of London. And you're there on a Sunday afternoon, the sun's shining, and you're in a marina eating wonderful tapas, sitting outside. It's a, it's a lovely spot. Yes. It's a beautiful spot. Um, and Gloriana was there, the boat. Uh-huh. From the um, and she's often there. She's this sleek boat, brilliant, shiny gold, and you can just imagine back in the day the rowers rowing the king or the queen up and down the river. So she always adds something to St Catherine's Dock. I do like going to Brick Lane because it's this mix and it's so vibrant, and you've got all these little pop-up shops of new designers, and they often have the graduate shows for the design students and the art students. So you get a real feel of what's coming up and what's going to challenge you artistically. And they have the big design fairs all around there. And I love being able to walk up from sort of the 17th century housing through into the street art, which again always changes because people just daub over these wonderful paintings and then you go back the week after and somebody's written all over it. And it's trying to get over the fact that that's not awful. That's how it is in in street art. Well, it's positively welcome now. Isn't it, it is, Years yeah. Ago, you, you know. There's a few who do them up high so that nobody can get... <laughs> and also they, they actually have some blank walls where they commission very famous street artists to come in and do work. In fact, there's a street artist I've been trying to get on the uh, on the podcast. Um, but yeah, street art is, is also wonderful. As is, I think, on one of your recent blog posts, you were at the National Portrait Gallery. Yes, which is a wonderful, and they've recently done some work, and I think extended it there as well. Oh, that's the Royal Academy. Uh, I beg your pardon, the Royal Academy. Yes, yes, the Royal Academy. Oh, yes, which looks uh, wonderful. And um, I think it's really positive for them as well as for us because before it was very much about special exhibitions, and if you'd seen it or it wasn't one you were very keen on, that was kind of it. And now they've got so much more space. They've got space for some permanent collection. More bars, restaurants, always good in a museum. So I, I think it's going to be massively positive and they're all gearing up for their summer exhibition, which opens. And, and it's free, I think. Entrance is free. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the special exhibitions are still always going to be paid for, as is the, the summer exhibition. But this new area of permanent collection is uh, is free. And, you know, it's a little bit of Michelangelo sculpture in there. There's a con- a contemporary copy of The Last Supper which I say was actually painted at the time. Quite as good as the real thing, but it uh, means you can get up close because if you ever get to Milan and you get to see it, it's a long way it's away. It's miles away, yes. Uh, it's extraordinary. I remember walking, went to Milan for a football match and oh, uh, we yes. had some time to kill and we went to try and find the museum. Of course, it was closed when we got there. Mm. <laughs> it's very hard. You have to book ahead. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, that's one of the things about London. If you want to get to see particular shows or exhibitions, some of the big ones, you do have to book. So I try and, you know, I treat myself to membership of a lot of them so you can pop in. But people are always stunned that you can just walk into the National Gallery. I was there last week in between appointments. It's one of my favourite places. If you've got a couple of hours to kill, I just love it. And you just walk in. Yeah. And you can just walk into the British Museum yeah. and the V&A. And, it's magnificent. And, you know, visitors find this extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to see such world-class mm. art collections is just yeah. staggering. And I think the other thing that's really important about that is that you, if you've got to pay £20 to go in, you feel you've got to be there all day or half a day. Whereas you can go in, you can appreciate one room and come out again and get more out of that one room because you don't have the pressure of feeling I've got to see the whole museum. And the same, you know, British Museum, you can just say, oh, I'm just going to see the Egyptian bit or the mummies, usually full of children doing paintings on the floor. But, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. So before we wrap up, how can people find you both on your your website, your Instagram account, if they want to get in touch with you, just to, you know, touch base, see what you're up to, maybe find out if they can do a booking with you? Instagram, I'm so in London. I try and post a picture a day. Not the weekends. I take the weekends off. That's a lovely account. Thank you very, very nice. much. I really try and if I haven't got one that I like, I won't post. The sun does always seem to shine in your pictures. Oh, that's the other thing. <laughs> it's always lovely. It's always, always lovely in London. <laughs> so that's about showcasing London. Uh, my Twitter account, which is It's Your London, is more about what's going on in London. So I try and provide people with lots of information about what's on now, what's coming up, a little bit about what I'm doing but uh, mostly what's happening. So that's a real resource account. And then on the website, which is itsyourlondon.co.uk, information a bit about the tours, but also I have the blog, which is usually what I've been to most recently. And that's quite a lot of information about whatever it is. I always just can never decide whether to do short posts or long posts and then always end up doing long ones. I think your posts are just about right, actually, because you've got a good mix of um, what you've been up to, some nice photographs to show what you've been doing. And they're informative, but not too detailed with, you know, dates and months and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Thank you. I think they're very, very good. Very useful. Yeah. So, yes, Instagram, Twitter and the website, which incorporates the blog. My email is sue at itsyourlondon.co.uk. Love to hear from anybody who got questions about London or would love a tour. That's perfect. Well, I'm sure people will get in touch with you because you've clearly got a love a love for London, as do I. And um, amongst your world travels, you keep coming back to London. It's so my home. It's your home. Uh, it's my home too. So it's been an absolute pleasure to to be here. Thank you very much for welcoming, welcoming me into your home and for partaking in the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for choosing me to be one of your podcasts. Not at all. Thank you very much, Sue.